Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of The Home Hour. This is the show where we talk about your life, your kids, food, family, and everything that goes on inside your four walls. I'm your host, Megan Francis, mom of five and creator of The Happiest Home Blog. I'm glad you're here. So this week's guest seems particularly appropriate to this time of year. Um, I'm not sure about where everyone else in the country is with their kids and school schedules, but we're wrapping up a semester right now. And I have to say, the month kind of surrounding Christmas break always starts to feel like the month where I totally slack off as a school mom. And I don't do it on purpose, of course, but you get, you know, you kind of have that that time toward the end of this of the calendar year where summer break is coming or winter break is coming and everyone's kind of slowing down and losing track of their motivation and then then you've got break and then you come back from break and it just takes a while to kind of re-enter. We're back in, I think this is our third week back to school now and we had three days off the first week because of uh, snow days and then a full week and now this is the week the kids are wrapping up their semester and I just feel like I'm not really back in the groove yet with doing all the the lunch making and the checking, the reading logs, and all of those things that you're supposed to do as a mom of school-aged kids. So I'm really excited to welcome today's guest. Her name is Erica Ladd. She is a school teacher and also has a blog called The Candid Teacher and a book called Candid Classroom, What Parents Want to Know and Teachers Want to Tell Them. And I really enjoyed talking to Erica and getting the perspective of an educator about what's really important in the classroom, what's really needed from parents. I think sometimes we get really caught up in things that um, aren't as necessary or as important to uh, the teachers and to the school experience for our children as other things. And and sometimes I think that um, we're just not sure what to do as parents. We're not really sure how to be good quote unquote, school parents and how to do a good job um, getting our kids prepared. And I feel like Erica had some really kind of assuring and reassuring things to say about what the most important things are to do. Erica is also going to be an adoptive mom. Um, She's in the process of adopting out of foster care. And so she talks about that as well. And I think that that is really enlightening. I didn't know some of the things that she had to say about that process. So it's just a really great conversation that I hope you will enjoy. Hi, Erica. Nice to have you on the show. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. So we are going to talk about some things today that seem um, might seem a little unrelated, but all are related to different things that you do um, online and elsewhere. You are in the beginning stages of adopting, or where are you with that? Yeah, we are actually um, at the end in terms of our certification. So okay. we uh, just finished up, just got certified. So we are literally waiting on the call any moment now. Okay. So are you, tell us more about that because I'm, yeah. I haven't delved in too deeply. Are you uh, adopting out of foster care? Or are you going to adopt um, a baby? Like just tell us the whole thing. Yes, <laughs> we are adopting um, from foster care. Okay. We're not fostering to adopt, which is a little different, Okay. Um, but we are adopting hopefully two siblings that um, would oh. be available for adoption already. So they okay. have already had, you know, parental rights terminated at that point and are looking for their forever family. So that is the kind of the route we're taking and have just finished up our classes and home study and all of that good stuff and are just waiting on a phone call for a potential match now. So it's exciting. Wow. So at this point, you would have no idea who these children would be. They would just come up available and you would have to basically just, just jump Correct. on it. Okay. Yeah. The way, the way it works with that is they, um, it would be 
child protective services, someone, you know, kids on their caseload that they're looking for families for. So we would get a call, uh, being notified that we're a potential match and then they have some meetings and decide all of that. And then if that's offered to us, we, uh, have to take 24 hours in the state of Arizona. Um, and then we say yes or no. And then if it's yes, the transition process begins to bring them home. So Wow. Yeah, okay. it's so that, crazy. That is crazy because at least you know with the pregnancy you have some time to prepare, <laughs> but you really yeah. just have to kind of be ready for yeah. anything or, or or waiting. You know. Yeah, I think the craziest thing for me personally is that is not knowing what age exactly my kids will be when oh I meet gosh. them. Yes. You know, like if you have a baby, you know they're going to be a newborn, regardless. Right. You know. Yeah. But anywhere from birth to age six, we're open to, and um, since we know we're building our family through adoption. We want to just do two siblings right away um, since that yeah. they're kind of a high need to match siblings Absolutely. anyways. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's, um, that's a really cool thing because it always breaks my heart when I hear about or read about sibling groups who, who can't get adopted. And, of course, I mean, who wants to break up a sibling group? That's terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah. we're just both really close to our siblings and really mm-hmm. value those relationships. So it's just something really important to us. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So we'll circle back to that in a minute. I also want to talk yeah. about um, your uh, teaching site. So tell us about this. It's called the Candid Teacher, or the yeah, Candid Class. The Candid Classroom is your book. The Candid Classroom is the book. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Candid Teacher is page for all things educating and raising humans. Um, okay. I've been a teacher for eight years. Currently taking a break to write and soon be a mom. But um, yeah, I just felt like there was a lot of real talk that didn't get to happen from the teacher's perspective. You know, there's a lot of politics around education and just legal stuff and, you know, it just, and just time constraints too and energy constraints. And so I felt like there was this big disconnect between, you know, what parents thought and expected was going on in the classroom and what actually was. And that if I could bridge that gap in a friendly, you know, if we could sit down for coffee type of Mm -hmm. a way Mm -hmm. more often, um, that, that we could make some real changes in education and just make both of our lives easier, to be frank, because teaching and parenting are both crazy hard. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so that's kind of where that idea came from. Um, and like I said, the candid teacher is really kind of a, a landing place for all of the content around the book, but the book is, um, candid classroom, what parents want to know and teachers want to tell them. And it's just that simple. Um, <laughs> So okay. yeah, I yeah. am really excited about it. Now you taught elementary school. You te- teach elementary school. Correct. What grades? Uh-huh. What grade? Mm-hmm. I did kindergarten English language learners for a while, mm-hmm. which was okay. my favorite. Um, and I did special ed uh, K through third grade and a year of third grade and a year of second grade. Oh, okay. So, so a little bit of everything. Yeah. 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 I have a lot of friends and family who are school teachers, but not elementary school teachers, interestingly. I'm just kind of realizing that they're mostly middle or high school teachers. Okay. So I'm sure there's a different perspective. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> and now, you know, so my, my youngest just started kindergarten, so I have five, um, and three are currently in elementary school. So I have a kindergartner, a third grader, and a fifth grader. And, okay. you know, it is, it's, it is kind of intimidating. I think I've kind of grown into being a school parent because I've been doing it for so long. Right. Um, I've just relaxed kind of the way you relax into parenting or anything else. Right. Right. Um, but man, those first few years, I really yeah. felt a lot of pressure, like what I was supposed to be doing and what the teacher might mm-hmm. think about 
what was going on in our home. Um, because I've right. also realized that my kids lie to teachers. They don't lie. They just shape a very different story <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> about what's happening in the house, which I'm sure you are aware of. But um, right. yeah, so it's, it's just, it's a challenging thing when it's, especially when it's the first time around. It is. It is, you know, and I, that's kind of where the idea from the book really came from too. We have three nieces, um, throughout both of our families that all were born the same year. So they all started kindergarten the same year. They're the oldest nieces, you know, on either side. And I just got so many questions from my sister and sister-in-laws. And I was like, why, you know, we don't really get to talk about these things. This is stuff they don't tell you at, you know, meet the teacher night or open house. They just don't have time to talk about like, how does lunch work? How does recess work? You know, what, what is the scoop on bullying? What about volunteering? And so, just felt like I needed to write it all down in one place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So let's delve into a couple of those topics because I think that those are things that parents, you know, are thinking about and obviously teachers have to think about. Yeah. Um, I will say with my first child, I probably erred on the side of being a little over, and I'm sure this pattern plays out all over the place, mm-hmm. um, maybe being a little over anxious about everything. It was not trusting the teacher, yes. you know, enough yeah. and always second guessing and wondering what was going on. And what I should be doing. And I think that they probably heard from me more than maybe they needed to. And now that it's my fifth, I sometimes wonder if I'm erring on the side of the other (laughs) end where I'm just like, hey, you know, you're the one with the degree in this and you're cool. So I'm just going to kind of let you handle it. And I I don't, I live in a school district that is um, pretty high performing. And so I know the parents are all over the teachers all of the time. And so I've uh-huh. sort of seen my role as being the one who doesn't do that. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's the gift I could yeah. give, give to them. But we I don't know. Thank it's you inter- for that. <laughs> well, that's good to hear because sometimes I wonder, like, do they think I just don't care? I do care. If I thought there was a problem, I would say so. But Totally, um, yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about some of those things that are, like, issues right now for parents and yeah. for teachers and are the things that come up again and again in your world and that you hear from parents as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think one of them, just to start off with, is that, that whole starting kindergarten and um, are they okay? What do I need to know? And if I'm not hearing from the teacher every day, you know, I, I talk about in the book where like, just know, first of all, that the first month of kindergarten is survival for everybody. I mean, if you're not hearing from your teacher that first month, assume everything is okay, but -hmm. that they're literally like just trying to keep their heads above water, trying to assess all the kids and really see where they're at. Cause you know, they, they don't know them yet. Um, But I think that there's this tendency, especially with first time school parents to be so nervous about that or like you said, nervous about their role Mm -hmm. and thinking that they have to do, you know, X, Y, Z to be a caring, involved parent. And it's just really not true. I think that your kid and how they come to school and how they're prepared to learn and how they behave is already a huge reflection of how much you care. Right, right. You know what I mean? And we we know that and we see the full gamut as teachers. And so... Um, I think that everybody probably just needs to relax a little bit around that starting school, but it's hard. It's your baby, you know, you're entrusting them out into the world kind of for the first time. Um, but yeah, I would say that that is a huge thing to just keep in mind is to give that first month of school, no matter what the grade really, um, give them a chance to kind of get acclimated and, and situated and get to know your kid, um, and in the meantime, kind of assume no news is good news and that everyone's just trying to figure things out uh, is a big one. Yeah. I want to make a little comment about that. My sister, my daughter, um, she's the only, my only girl. I've got four boys and then a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so she started, she's very, very attached to me. And uh-huh. she didn't really do 
formal preschool just because she was every all of my other kids did but she was just home with me during the day and we were just kind of together and we just didn't really do that so she she's been with other caregivers but never in that sort of formal you know in that formal way until this year um and I was really worried about it because she didn't want to be around anybody but me and what I realized was that she had to shift some of that attachment to her teacher and I had to yeah. be okay and I had to be okay with that. Yeah. And it, I actually was really okay with that because <laughs> it was You were tired. I was tired, exactly. <laughs> but I, I can see how that would have been my my oldest son. That would have been really tough. Like yeah. just to realize that part of her learning to love school was falling in love with her teacher a little bit. Right. And that couldn't like I was gonna have to make room for that. Um right. That, but that was what did it. When she started coming home talking about how much she loved her teacher, that was when everything shifted and she stopped crying right. and clinging, right. you know? And they, so. and they need to kind of like borrow your confidence in mm-hmm. that. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you said, you need to, they, she needed to know from you that that was okay. And I think sometimes parents think that they're helping by hovering a little bit right. and, you know, sticking around the classroom until their child is comfortable. But really, I think sometimes we're sending the message that like, you need me to be safe. And you're right. not okay here with this teacher versus like, you're fine. I know you're upset, but it will be fine. And I love you and goodbye. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I think that's a huge, huge help that parents do. And and really they do settle down so much quicker that way. They really do. Yeah. I mean, after years of kindergarten, and I even taught English who um, often didn't know had this extra barrier of, I don't even know what this lady is saying. I'm so mm-hmm. scared. I don't know what's going on. But oh, they wow, really yeah. began to trust a lot quicker when their parents just said, okay, you're all right. This is your teacher, you know, and, and kind of like attachment builds on other attachments. So if they see that the person they're already attached to is okay with them attaching to their teacher, you know, right. that works out a lot better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, you were, I, I think I kind of interrupted you. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. No, I, I just think, um, you know, I talk about in the book where there there are really only four things your child needs before kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And in this uber competitive world of overparenting, I think sometimes we think we need to be, you know, they need to be like in the best preschool and right. they need to be already reading before kindergarten and all this. But I just think the four things are if you have said no to them mm-hmm. sometime in their life and like applied consistent consequences, and right. they know that the world doesn't just revolve around them. That is huge. And there are kids that have a very hard time coming into school with the order and the structure of the day mm-hmm. because they don't have any of that at home. So if you're providing some sort of order and structure at home, you're doing a great job. That's number one. Um, number two, I would say is color with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great for like fine motor, as I'm sure you know, with all your kiddos, but um, that's just huge. And it doesn't need to be like, okay, we're going to sit down and practice writing your name. But if you've colored, they're learning creativity. They're learning to follow through on a project, all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, reading, obviously you had a great podcast actually with, I think it was Sarah McKenzie. Yeah. The read aloud revival. Yeah. I think that was so great. If people, if you're wondering how to read with your kids or what, is good for reading with your kids and how to create that at home. I thought that was a great podcast. I'll link to it in the show notes. It was just a couple months ago, so it shouldn't be too. Yeah. I was, I was shaking my teacher head. Yes. To all of what she had to say. So, (laughs) um, yeah, that's huge. And just, yeah. Singing songs with them, like learning about language, talking with them. It Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be this formal. We're going to sit down and do a workbook page now or, you know, what programs can I have them enrolled in? It's just talking and singing and, you know, natural interactions that I think if you, if you're, you can send your kid to school with those four things 
really the rest truly is the teacher's job. Yeah. You know, well, and, and I we'll think figure it out along the way together where you can support, but. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's, it's really nice to hear that honestly, because to me that just feels like life. I mean, that just feels like the way human beings, um, interact yeah. with each other mm-hmm. if we're paying any attention at all, you know? Exactly. And it, exactly. so it doesn't take much. Um, it's funny. And when I, when my daughter went to school, I kind of did realize like, oh, you know, some of the things I can see that make kids who've already gone to preschool, at yeah. least a good preschool, um, makes the te- the kindergarten teacher's job a little easier is they already know things like how to line up, you know, how to put their right. shoes and cubbies, just things that probably make classroom control right. that much easier when it's all chaotic at the beginning. But Clara, mm-hmm. that's my daughter, went in and told, okay, so I know, I know my teacher, she's known my other kids, so she knows this wasn't true, but she said, well, <laughs> the first day... I handed her a pencil and she looked at it and said, I don't know what this is. <laughs> like, Oh my goodness. That's what a pencil is. And then she said, I don't know. I don't know how to, but she was very negative for the first couple of weeks, you know, like right, everything that right. they want her to do. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. So I she said, yeah. I don't know how to do this. This is not, so they, you know, so she ended up getting some um, additional support outside the classroom. But after like a month, it, everything just clicked and she's doing right. great. It's, right. it's like she needed that time to ease in and figure it all yeah. out yeah. Um, as well. But you could tell she was drawing on something a foundation that was there, even if she didn't really want to tap into it. Yeah. That's so funny. And I would say too, like, likewise, they may come home saying things about school that aren't exactly true. Exactly. No, I, I, everything with a huge grain of salt because. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, it's amazing to me though, how many parents don't take that with a grain of salt. They will call immediately like she said this or that. And I can't believe this would happen. It's like, hold on. We're both the adults here. Right. Maybe we can talk about, you know, what, what you might be noticing and what might've happened. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's so funny. And it's, it is, you know, I think that there's a weird thing culturally happening where we, we almost, uh, are learning not to trust the people who we entrust our kids with. It's weird. It's like the more power, um, power isn't the right word. The more of our kids days that end up getting kind of used by school, which I think has been, at least it feels like it's been increasing if it hasn't actually, it feels like school is more and more and more a part of, um, the typical child's life. And Mm -hmm. then, or at least some kind of organized school like activity, whether it's that or sports or whatever. Um, but at the same time, there's this like shift toward not trusting the people that are in charge. So it's like, it's, of course it's confusing and anxiety inducing for parents because we don't feel like we have a choice, you know, we don't. Right. And, right. but at the same time we're like, Oh, but who are these people? And are they really right. doing the, the best things for our kids and all that? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh. It is really hard. I say the biggest thing too is communication and I know it sounds cliche, mm-hmm. but, um, com- with them as another trusted adult and a professional. You know, I think that, um, sometimes we think, oh, they're, they're coloring and playing all day because they're teaching kindergarten. And so we come into it a little bit with this, like, well, you can't possibly, you know, right. Know what I think you need to know. And so I think just, um, communicating often Mm -hmm. and early and positively, you know, just really like thanking the teacher for the job that they're doing and then asking, Hey, what do you notice about this? Or I'm concerned about this. Tell me what you see mm-hmm. and really listening to that opinion instead of just rattling off, you know, right. a list of things. Um, and just making some face to face and, or even by phone, some actual conversation when at all possible. I think email has made things easy in some ways to communicate quickly, but also can get very contentious very quickly. Yeah. Tone is um, hard to read. And, yeah. It's very yeah. hard. When I used to get an email that 
seemed upset from a parent and some, you know, maybe seemingly so if they thought a certain situation was happening, my first reaction was usually to pick up the phone Mm -hmm. because I felt like that it showed that I cared, number one, like I care enough to take a minute and just call you. And it just immediately diffused the situation. Like, let's have a conversation as two people that care about this little person we're talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And just realizing how much teachers do grow to care for your kids. Right. I mean, we, we have them for you know, eight plus hours a day sometimes. And, um, we get to know their little personalities and they may have a different relationship with us. They obviously will than they have with you. And so like working on those two things as strengths, like what do you see? Okay. This is what I'm seeing at home. Now let's work together. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But it's hard when you're not talking. Right. I think that's a big thing. I can definitely see that. And I think Mm -hmm. I've been very lucky that most of my kids' teachers, um, have either, either that they've been, very smooth relationships with my kids or it's just gotten resolved before I've right. had to hear about it. Um, right. <laughs> which could be either one, which just speaks to their, I guess, level of, of skill. <laughs> but yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's been, it's been pretty fortunate, but there have been things that come up every now and then. And, you know, and it's also really hard. Here's the other thing. And, and this is something I think, um, for the parents perspective, and maybe you've seen this play out. I'm mm-hmm. sure you kind of see the undercurrents at least there's always those parents that you'll meet, you know, they also, I think, tend to be super involved in things sometimes mm-hmm. who just want to gripe about teachers all the time. And I've kind oh, of made yeah. it a policy not to hang out with those parents. Like if I yeah. get a whiff of that, I just don't, I'm not going to do it because I've, I've had to almost strangers start, you know, bad mouthing a certain teacher to me that I don't even know this person. <laughs> like, you right. know, I don't right. even know I, your opinion has no sway with me, you know? Right. Um, but it's toxic. It's really it toxic. It I'm really sure. Is. Have you experienced that yourself? I have. And I, you know, I think too, um, it is a very cultural thing. When I worked, um, when I worked with English language learners and in a very low income school, um, very urban setting, it wasn't like that. It was very much, okay, you're the teacher. I have right. my job to do during the yep. day. You have yours and I trust you. Right. And there was like a level of respect there. Um, and I think then moving into a more suburban affluent district, um, I notice a lot more of that, a lot more just, just maybe sometimes needing something to do. Yeah. I guess. Like well, and it's a very privileged, about. it's a very privileged position Yeah, to have the yeah. time on your hands to totally <laughs> not only totally. be that mad at your, you know, the teachers, but also to have an opinion about all the teachers in the school, which I was thinking is it, like, how do you know them all? <laughs> right. Right. Cause you saw them in the copy room right, while you were right, making right, right. copies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it can be very toxic though, to a school environment and sometimes very good teachers don't get the. Um, credit or recognition they deserve because they may not be, um, I don't know, strike, you know, personality wise, the same as some of these parents or vice versa. Sometimes parents have a very high opinion of a teacher. That's really not so great (laughs) (laughs) to be honest because they're the popular one or they, Mm -hmm. you know, sit around and chat with them after school, but really may not be what their child needs. Um, and so then they make decisions and demands based on that, like where their child should be placed and all of those kinds of things. So it can be very, very toxic. I would say that's a good policy you have to just kind of stay away from that because it can get bad. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't do any, if I had listened to, um, some of like what you were just kind of speaking to some of this back chatter about Mm -hmm. different teachers, I would, I have a son who is now in high school. Um, he's a great kid, but not everyone gets him. Right. And so he's got to have the teacher that like, he's he's got a very sarcastic personality and some teachers have read that as being cocky 
and it's right. it's a little awkward, you know. So it's it's right. not that it's something else. And the teachers, he's had some teachers who really liked him, and I've seen how much he's thrived with that. Yeah. And yeah. those are some of the same teachers that other parents were complaining about. I don't even remember what they were saying. And I right. just, it was like so different from my perspective. But then once one teacher got pegged as like the one, nobody should want their kids to be in their classroom. It sort of spreads like a disease. And then it's, yeah. you know, everyone has this opinion and you don't even know why. So right. it's, yeah, it's no good. Mm-hmm. Gossip mm-hmm. is no good. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. any setting. Right. But it's especially- <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about the beginning of the year, but now, you know, we're recording this uh, in late December. It'll go up in January. Yeah. Um, and I know as a parent, something that I'm experiencing right now, and I'll find it very interesting to see what your take is this in a few years when you have um, a couple <laughs> of children too. It's the mid-year s- slump. Yeah. I know I'm slumping. I'm falling down on the job. My house is yeah. a wreck right now. Like I've <laughs> lost, I've accidentally recycled my kids' homework like eight times. I mean, it's just things I didn't like pack lunches for two weeks because I just couldn't get it together. So, um, you know, the kids did eat. They had hot lunch. but right. <laughs> so, I sent them with something. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's just like slump city. Are you seeing yeah. this play out? Oh, man. In your class. Yeah. You yeah. know, and teachers have it too. That's the funny thing. I think we like forget that teachers are humans. Like right. we are exhausted too. And I think that break is so important, that semester break um, for the winter holidays yeah. and everything mm-hmm. to just kind of hit the reset button. And, you know, there was a lot of things that I would kind of let go um, knowing that they needed to be improved, but like, okay, right, we're going to keep going as is for now because it's too much you know, it's too much for the kids to change it at this point, but we're going to be resetting and revisiting that in January. So yeah, I totally noticed that. I noticed it with my kids and my parents because everyone kind of starts off, um, you know, the new school year with new shiny shoes and new shiny pencils and everybody's feeling organized and everything. So yeah, I think that's huge. And I think just admitting that and like taking some time to revisit like what is working at home for homework and, you know, our, how we process all the papers that come in and the emails and what is not. And let's, let's get a system and enlisting your kids. It's so nice to have older kids that can start to be involved in some of that too. Like, okay, how can we organize all this and what's going to work for our family and well, it's just good to hear that teachers are going through it as well because that makes oh, me totally. feel a little less slumpy yeah. about it. And then when we come yeah. back, you know, and, and there's that natural rhythm. So, um, you know, I live in a cold climate and I think that also I – mean, you you were born mm-hmm. in Wisconsin, right? You grew up in Wisconsin. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little different because even when you go back, like my kids will go back on the whatever day, the 6th, I think, or the 5th, uh-huh. um, and they'll be – full of energy and everything will be great. We'll have those first few big snowfalls and it's exciting. And then we get to be like about mid February and that's when I start hitting a slump again. And it's so funny how in the home, the minute I start to falter, everything, Mm -hmm. everybody Mm -hmm. else just follows suit. It's like, I start to kind of like dip and everyone else is like, wow, you know, they're like careening down the hill after me. So I just, you probably see that play out. And I'm wondering if you have any, I mean, how does it play out in your classroom? Do you notice like entire groups of kids doing this all at once? Oh yeah. And (laughs) the hard part is in any colder climates in the winter is that you may be stuck inside for days on end and the kids aren't getting out for, you know, I think that was a huge thing. Even if I had to bundle my kids, you know, if it was like within the legal limits of us being able to go outside, I mean, it was a hassle to bundle all those kindergartners, but taking some fresh air because you're just nobody's getting enough of it this time of year, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. yeah. Even if it's like a nighttime walk after school and it's dark at four thirty or whatever, but just getting some fresh air was a huge thing for me. Getting 
some room and some time and space to move around. Um, Mm. and I think all of us are bad at this adults and kids this time of year, we want to hunker down and watch a movie under the blankets or whatever, but that always made a huge difference. Get some fresh air, some exercise. Um, and then just trying something new. It was always a great time to kind of do, um, you know, a big project or some sort of, some sort of experiment or something that we could just kind of re-spark that imagination and that love for school and learning. And we're not just in the rut of, you know, I go to school, I go home, I do my homework, something, you know, even a house project at home could be great for that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, redoing a bedroom, something like that, uh, really, really helps just to get out of that box. (laughs) Yeah. And, and otherwise just, it's like, you're just waiting for summer. You just kind of get that perpetual. Yeah. Were you teaching, were you teaching in Wisconsin? I was, that's, yeah, I taught for, four years in Wisconsin, um, five years, including one year of subbing. And then the rest of it has been here in Arizona. Okay. So, so you missed out on last year on the, on the endless snow days. Oh yeah, totally. And I, <laughs> I was think we had nine snow days. That was I'll crazy. tell you what, like, as a, I know as a parent, they're probably hard, but as a teacher, there is nothing like a, I think we get more excited about it than the kids do. No, actually. you know what? I get it. And actually, I have to say, and I work from home, so that makes it a lot easier. But yeah. I have to say, and my um, sister-in-law is a teacher, so she would text me as soon as she knew, which was usually just a little bit before um, yeah. we got the call. And she would just text me like, snow day! And she was so excited just to like have that little unexpected break that you didn't know if it was coming or not. And I had so much fun. It was like it became sort of like everyone was in the same boat together. We were right. all snowbound to some degree right. and it was sort of like this little gift I could give the kids. So it was kind of fun to run upstairs and yeah. be like, Hey guys, snow day. And they're all excited. Yeah. And, There's just nothing yeah. like that. Like no. a, it's like a free, free space in a bingo card. Like I yeah. just don't know how to explain it. No, either. it's, it's great. I, I really got into the spirit of it. And I know if you work, you know, outside of the home, it can really, it's, it's a hassle and yes. it's sometimes yes. it's, an issue, big a issue. burden to find childcare um, and all yeah, that. But. Yeah. Well, and I think that was kind of the nice thing about, um, last year in particular, because it was so pervasive. I mean, we had so many yeah. and everybody, mm-hmm. even, um, sometimes there would be days when there was school, but because a lot of kids kind of come in, drive in from areas, the rural areas around yeah. us, they could have completely different weather patterns. So sometimes we'd have a nice day, but 10 minutes outside of town, it right. was white out or, right complete ice. So basically the schools were like, Hey, if you don't feel comfortable bringing your kids to school, don't bring them. I mean, it was very yeah. much. And a lot of the major employers around here were just letting people take days off because what else are they going to do? It's like, right. Right. You know, At so. a certain point I can only like call grandma so many times exactly. to watch them or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of fun actually. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think everyone kind of got into it and you know, you'd see people out trudging, trying to trudge through the yeah. Feet of snow or whatever ridiculous thing it was. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm yeah. hoping you guys all have a little bit easier. Yeah, me too. I don't want to repeat it, but it was kind of fun. So, so, so let's talk about something that I'm, you know, sort of experiencing for the first time is volunteering in the classroom. And that's something that I yes. didn't really do for years because I always had little ones at home. And, you know, I work from home. And so it was kind of like trying to, I couldn't really fit three things into a typical day. But now right. I've got a little more breathing room. And I am um, getting in a little more, and I'm finding that there are certain things I'm not great at, like, for example, dealing with tons of small children. I really give you props <laughs> <laughs> for that. Um, but what is your take on and, – and also I'd love to hear about the difference between when you were in this more affluent area and then the not-so-affluent area. Like, what were your needs in those two? Yeah. How were they different? 
And what do you think was really helpful that parents did? And did you ever get the feeling there were parents who were just signing on for everything just because they could be that mom? That's oh, what... totally. Yeah, okay. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I had a whole chapter on this because I just felt like I had so much to say. Um, and this was something that was night and day different in my more urban, um, you know, high poverty district and in the more affluent suburban one. Um, just time constraints, first of all, for parents back in Wisconsin that were working, you know, two, three jobs sometimes to put mm-hmm. food on the table, obviously couldn't be in physically in the classroom very often. Um, and there was just this hands-off approach a little bit. Like I said, like it was just, it was like, that's your domain. Home is my domain. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure they come to school fed and, you know, right. clothed and ready to go. But I, you know, I'm trusting you to do that. So, and with there's a little more hovering, I guess, in, yeah. in my more current district. So, but I would say, Number one rule overall with volunteering is the goal of volunteering should be to take something off of the plate of the schools and the teachers. Okay. You know, it should be to help out with time or attention that kids need or whatever. And it shouldn't be to add something to it. I think sometimes um, volunteering turns into let's make up more work for the teachers in the schools yeah, because okay. we need to have these big programs and these big fundraisers and all that kind of stuff. And it really ends up just being more work. So I think if you can first of all, like put in the mindset that you're, you're trying to take something off the plate of already busy teachers in schools, mm-hmm. um, and help them with their workload of, you know, educating these little ones. Um, and just kind of some tips to do that. I would say arriving and leaving on time are really important. Um, I think sometimes we don't realize how structured the school day is like down to the minute and being five minutes late for your time to volunteer when you were going to help with an art project or whatever can really kind of throw the whole thing off. So that, and then, but then also leaving on time, um, having extra adults hovering around the classroom, you know, the, the kids are enamored with these new people in their room and they want to pay attention to that. And the teacher feels self-conscious. And so like, just, just being there for your allotted time is really helpful. Um, And then I think, too, being willing to help with some less than glamorous tasks, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like you may be handing out the hand sanitizer or wiping down the tables after an art project. And that is so, so helpful for teachers. And we so appreciate that because that's the kind of little stuff we don't always have time for when we're wrangling the kids and moving them on to the next activity because you can't have this lapse in time, you know, like they're just you'll lose them if you don't move on to the next thing. So, yeah. I think another thing is to follow the teacher's lead mm-hmm. um, in terms of like just them running their classroom and kind of being the boss in that in that situation and you're there to assist. But also just, um, you know, paying attention to how they talk to kids, how they dress, how they, you know, that that bringing that professionalism to your um, volunteering and knowing that there are some I think sometimes we don't realize there are some legal and professional constraints on the teacher. Like Mm -hmm. I can't necessarily talk to you about this kid that may be causing a huge ruckus all day long. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. I think sometimes, or, or just knowing that like, okay, the teacher needs to move on with this group of kids now. And so just kind of paying attention to those things that you just might not think about as a parent at home because it doesn't matter, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think another huge thing that I always loved and really wish parents were more, um, I don't know, willing or confident to do is just to share some of their strengths. You know, if they are a great storyteller or if you love to talk and convert, like I think sometimes parents were very, um, 
shy in the classroom or didn't want to step on toes. But I think if you're great at something that could be a service to the classroom, like go for it. You know, if you're, if you're great organizationally even and say, Hey, do you want me to organize the book orders for you Mm -hmm. or something like that? I think sharing those strengths is really valuable and kind of adds to the classroom environment. So those are really good tips. And I, you know, I have to just, um, say really quick that I, I think sometimes we forget that when we're, we can do something at home with our one child or however many yes. know, kids we have of a certain age, it's a completely different. Yes, totally. <laughs> so I was, uh, the first thing I did this year in my daughter's kindergarten classroom was helped with a computer lab. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, now I understand why she had like four parent volunteers the other day because it was like their tiny little fat fingers couldn't yeah. work the mouse. Yeah. So it was like going from kid to kid. I mean, it took 20 minutes just to log everyone in. And totally. I mean, it was one of those experiences where I'm sweating, like I'm getting, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, <laughs> this yeah. is so painful. And then, you know, one kid's like hand would slip off the cursor and it would go to a different page and all these little children are sitting there going, what, what up? Yeah. You know? And then they're just clicking on things yeah. randomly because yes. they just want to. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, it was, it was really, um. It was really eye-opening. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. You yeah. know, and I think, too, you were saying that um, you just feel like you've gotten back into the classroom a little bit and can volunteer. And I think a lot of times we mix up or we equate volunteering with being involved, that oh, the yeah. only way to be an involved parent is right. to be there yeah. at all the parties and all of the right. field trips and all of that. And I just really think volunteering is one way to be involved, but it's really not the only way. Mm-hmm. Like doing things like meeting their basic needs, which sometimes when you have all those little ones at home, that is a job in and of itself. Right. Um, Raising readers. You know, if I could pick the most valuable thing that you do to support your kid's education, that would be it. Um, Setting high expectations just for their behavior and, you know, reinforcing things at home um, and then communicating and just making school a priority. Like those things really are more valuable in terms of overall involvement than going on a field trip. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. No, I love that. And I, I feel like for a very long time, um, that's just been my focus is just bringing up kids who I can send to school and feel good about yeah. <laughs> having yeah. them in class and feel like that they're going to contribute and not and just not be easy kids. But that's kind of been my goal. Like I want to send kids out in the world that are easy for you to take care of, like easy right. for you to, to teach and to manage. And no, I love that. if I do that, then, you know, all the other stuff will come or in some, or maybe it won't in some ways. Like maybe I'm kind of realizing now what the rhythm of my day is going to look like. And also when I do volunteer in the classroom, it's still a little touchy because my daughter still gets then like she wants to glom onto me and yeah. it's hard for her to let go. So it's not yeah. always super productive, um, right. but there are, I'm sure other things that I can do and, yeah. and that'll change. But more, but my number one goal is, getting her there prepared and and, and with a good attitude. So yeah. Raise a good human is like number one job of parents, right? Right, right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So this is really fascinating. So as we're going now into this, I guess, second half of the classroom year, Mm -hmm. is there anything else you really want to share with parents that you feel like is really important that they should know? Um, I mean, I know every school does breaks differently, but is there something, you know, about summer break that you feel like is important for parents to keep in mind or what do you just toss Um, You know, I think one other big hot button issue right now is this idea of testing Mm. and accountability. And I think that we are in a crazy place with this in our whole society. Like we're obsessed with standardized tests and making the grade and all of that. And I just think like my biggest piece of advice around that is that a test is a snapshot. 
number one. So any test, no matter how high, how high stakes it might be for your district or your state or even your individual child. I mean, I think in Arizona now we're doing third grade testing where if they don't pass the certain test, they don't go on to third grade. Mm. Like the, wow. the reading level, they have to get a certain reading level. And so that can seem so crazy stressful. Um, and I think, and a lot of that happens this, this second half of the year here. So I think if you can remember yourself as the parent and as a teacher that, um, you know, a test is a snapshot. It's, it is one piece of the puzzle of how mm-hmm. they're doing overall. And it's a snapshot of that, that one day, that one time, how they did in that one moment. And I think, um, it can be helpful to look at that, uh, only if you look at it, the whole big picture though. Um, so just kind of keeping that in mind and then keeping that in mind with how you talk to kids about tests, um, you know, just being positive. And I used to tell that to my kids, like today is a snapshot. Today's a chance where you get to show where, you know, and -hmm. it's one piece of the puzzle of how you're doing overall and what you're, and you're showing us what you've learned. And if you can kind of address it that way. Um, and then I think with grades too, especially as kids get older, grades become so important, um, I think that if you can look at that, that should be a summary. Mm -hmm. That should be more of like a, this is a overall look of how they're doing, but you should be communicating with the teachers along the way and they should be giving you, you know, your kids feedback on their assignments and things. So grades should never really be a surprise uh, in my mind or something that you, something that you last minute try to get up, you know, from a B to an A or whatever. It should be kind of an ongoing cumulative effect. And if you're concerned about grades or testing or something, I would say, as soon as the second semester here starts, you know, be talking to the teachers, be in communication about that so that, that nothing is a surprise right? Um, in terms of that. But just keeping it in perspective, because I think it can be uh, with society placing such a huge emphasis on that, it, we can wrap up a lot of our own self-worth as uh, teachers and parents and how our kids are quote unquote doing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it becomes like a competitive thing too. So I think if we can just kind of give ourselves and our kids a break. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And remember, they are kids and they're going to need that, um, you know, that affirmation and that positive, calm attitude from you. It, it can go a long way this time of year. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you brought up grades. My um, my kids elementary school, I think it must have been, I don't know, four or five, six years ago, switched to now they don't have grades numbers. Um, uh-huh. And the numbers aren't really grades. They're just reflective of where you are. You know, so one is like doesn't know this at all. Two is right. emerging. Three is solid four is like awesome. I can't, right. that's not exactly, but, and it's right. by skill, you know, it's by skill, not by subject. So yes. every time, every new teacher that my family has had, um, has, I think felt a lot of pressure to set up the concept here, like the context early on in the, in the parent teacher conference, like this isn't a grade and they shouldn't have fours right now because we're, you know, a month into the yes. school, the school yes. year. And it's just so funny to me that, you know, they, they have parents who come in who expect their kids to have all fours and they're saying, no, if you, if they had all fours, then they're done. They're yeah. done with second grade. It's like, exactly. you know, exactly. so this is where they should be. They should be like a two or a three. They're either emerging, you know, mm-hmm. or they're pretty solid, but they're not all the way there yet. And at the end of the year, you want them to have like threes and fours. Yeah. Um, but we're all, it's like, we've all drunk the Kool-Aid on, exactly. on what it means exactly. to learn and, and how you, uh, demonstrate that, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) And that's gotten really, truly out of perspective. Like, okay, this is a number, but it's because I have to give a number. There's more to this child than this number. And we both know that. Right. So, you know, we should be having an ongoing conversation about that. And then this number is just like 
it's it's like the bow on top. It's not the right. whole package. You yeah, know? yeah. And some of the skills they haven't even done yet. So like yeah, she has to yeah. have a number for something right. they haven't touched in class yet. So right. <laughs> obviously the number's not going to be a four because right. mean, the kid They're hasn't not there yet. T- they haven't learned it. <laughs> so it's just it's so funny. And I it's I just try to be like, look, let's just skip all this stuff. Tell me where they are and how I can help. And then let's are they nice to their you know fellow classmates yes. and are yes. they respectful to you and do they listen to you? And that's just so much more important to me um, than all the yeah. rest of it, which I think will come. It can come. And if they are respectful and can listen and, and can have those kinds of listening, learning skills, those mm-hmm. prerequisite skills, the rest will come. It's just a matter of time. Right. But the kids that have a hard time are kids who cannot do those things, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. no no amount of changing a three to a four is going to help that. Like, right. When you yeah. need to back it up a step, back you know. Up, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about test scores, it also made me think of. Um, and this, I would find this interesting to hear about your perspective with the two different kinds of schools that you've taught at. Where we, when we lived in a large city, and I was always looking for schools, and you would go to a place that kind of. I lived in Chicago, and so there, everything there is um, basically either schools of choice or magnets. So you get in a lotto system, uh-huh. um, and you have your however many top picks, and then you just hope you get one. Unless your right. kids are super gifted, then you might end up in one of the really um, right crazy high high uh, priority schools or whatever they're called. But anyway, so what I thought really was really tricky was you'd go to a website that was ostensibly there to sum up the school. You know, like this mm-hmm. is its grade. Like I think great schools was one, and it was all based on test scores. Yeah. And the more I think about it, the more I think how backward that is, and does that even mean the school right. is a good place to learn or not? And that, right. I don't know. I, and how does a parent know? You know? Yeah. No, I think that's really hard. And I, I think a lot of parents don't even realize that the, those grades are completely based on test scores. And it's yeah. not a test scores over time. It's one test score. Yeah. It's one, you know, big state test that they might take in February or March or whatever. Um, and yeah, that can be one picture. But there also may be a high concentration of English language learners or right. special needs kids that are learning, you know, that are taking these same tests. Because the tests are crazy and we just say everybody has to take them no matter what and one size fits all. And so like those kinds of things are really impacting that. But it may be a beautiful school to to teach and learn at. Mm -hmm. Like my my more urban school where I was teaching English language learners was my favorite school environment I've ever been in. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. The most loving caring, you know, kids of all ability levels and everything were, were cared for and their needs were met. And it was just incredible. But on paper, it might not have looked as good, you know. So yeah. I think you really I think you can tell a lot when you walk into a school building um, okay. as a parent what mm-hmm. it's like. So if you can set up an opportunity to do that, if you're really, you know, picking schools or at that place and in, in raising your kids, um, I think you can tell a lot by just how it feels. Yeah. You know, and I would go by that more than I would go by <laughs> the test Yeah, like do the kids look happy and is there chaos yeah. or is it, you know, relatively yes. calm and yeah, yes. is it bright and happy? Do the kids right. get to go outside? I mean, that was another thing that was kind of being, that was being um, siphoned off slowly in the Chicago. So we don't live in Chicago yeah. anymore. Um, at that time though, some of the Everywhere. higher performing schools were losing recess. I mean, yes, like crazy. Yes. And their lunches were down to 15 minutes. And it was just like, well, I don't want that for my kids either. You know, right. it's, yeah, yeah. So no adult would function like that, right? No, we would, right. We wouldn't be in a workplace where we got a 15 minute break all day long. Right. And then we're expecting five year olds to do that. It's just insanity to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Those things are more important if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really interesting. And, and I'm sure that out of the two schools that you were at, probably the more affluent one probably has the higher test scores and on paper. 
Mm-hmm. This probably would look like the more desirable place to send your kids, but that's not mm-hmm. necessarily the case. Right. So Correct. Interesting. Well, that's a yeah. nice little tip for anyone who's looking or moving um, and looking at possibly yeah. having to change their child's school. Definitely. Even just their willingness and openness to you coming in and spending an hour, yeah. you know, would tell you a lot. So Yeah, 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 yeah. And also, I mean, I think too, as a parent, um, another thing to keep in mind is the other parents. And maybe that's something harder to kind of gauge if you're not mm-hmm. in that neighborhood, but I, mm-hmm. I just feel like that makes such a big difference as yeah, far as that, your experience and your child's experience. Yeah. There's definitely a school community and a school mm-hmm. culture and that extends beyond the walls of the school, you right. know, like the parent energy, the parent involvement, um, and just kind of what the school is doing in interaction with the community. Those are all huge. So yes. yeah. Yep. 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 Well, Erica, I've loved talking about school with you. I'd like to bounce back over to adoption for a few minutes, if you don't yeah, mind, before we wrap sure. up. So, okay. So we talked a little bit about what it looks like to do, you know, with the, where you are in the process. Now you're waiting um, mm-hmm. to get a sibling group. Hey, what if they came to you with a sibling group of three? Would you take it? Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's super likely just because okay. we're first-time parents. Right. But it's not out of the question. It's not out of the and question. I think what may be more likely is that we would take a sibling group of two and then perhaps birth mom would have another baby down the road. Oh, and, and they would say, are well. you willing to take, yeah, the third one? So yeah. I think that's more likely, but who knows? This whole thing has been like, <laughs> oh, you thought you knew how your life was going to go. Right. You were going to stop teaching and get pregnant. And then that was all going to work out that way and yeah. has not, you know, and which is awesome. I'm excited to be on this other, this other journey. Parenthood, I guess, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think like we've started to just throw our hands up in the air and go, okay, anything could happen. Anything could happen. Yeah. So, how long has this process been? Um, we started. Let's see. We went to an orientation in November of last year, and then we didn't officially pick our agency and start until February of this year. So, wow. less okay. than a year. Wow. Um, right. Once we picked our agency and and got started on everything. So, did you consider other options besides? Adopting out of foster care? We did, yeah. I didn't even really realize going into it that there's three very different routes to adoption. There's what we're doing. I didn't realize Um, that was a thing either. I guess I was just thought a foster to adopt. I didn't realize. Right, right. So that, that, yeah, and then within that, the foster to adopt. And then there's domestic infant adoption where you're um, being picked. It's a private adoption. You're being chosen by a birth family um, to raise their kids and you may even be there for the birth and have them, mm-hmm. you know, more as a newborn. Um, and then there's international adoption, obviously, right. which varies depending on region and country that you're looking at and all of that. And we just decided for us, um, having a newborn wasn't our top priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my experience with kids and in the classroom with little ones really helped that. I just, I knew how much you can bond and grow to love a five-year-old, you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah. I knew that that was, and I know what it looks like to have kids of those ages. So, um, I think that was big for us and just, there's a huge need in Arizona in particular, um, for kids in foster care. I think a lot of times they're viewed as, you know, damaged goods mm-hmm. and it really, it could just be a parent who's, you know, obviously there's some trauma there and, and bad things have happened, but they just may be a mentally, unhealthy person and just not fit to parent, but they've tried their best. You know what I mean? There's, there's all kinds of different stories and and a kid's story shouldn't determine whether they have a family or not. Mm -hmm. So we just felt really strongly about that. Um, such a huge need and, and just some more certainty around it. I think too, we knew we were going to have to do that uh, through infertility. We realized we would be adopting if we wanted to be parents. And so, um, for us, at least, we just weren't, there wasn't a lot of fertility options 
that even made sense in our scenario. So we just knew like, okay, we want, if we want one, we want more than one. And this just seems to make sense for us. And we just felt kind of pulled in that direction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so are there any um, resources that you'd point people toward if they were considering this path or, I mean, I'm sure it's various state to state, but. Yeah, that's a big thing. Um, States vary quite a bit. I had a friend in book club that had adapted through foster care. So that was huge. I picked her brain for like three hours one day over coffee. Like, okay, tell me everything I need to know. So you can connect with someone even online. I mean, I am more than willing to, you know, talk about questions. My other blog, um, the adventure is talking a lot about our adoption journey here. And I'm always open to answering questions about that. Um, so yeah, finding somebody, um, either online or in person that's been through exactly the same route that you want to go through. Um, we had a couple of really good books and I can email you the links to them and I don't have yeah, them. The sure. Yeah. There's a couple of really good books that we read. Um, one of them, I think it's 15, 15 questions to ask yourself before adopting to just kind of think about the bigger questions around adoption yeah. and if okay. this is really right for you. Um, there's another one that we got for our families actually, uh, when we announced that we were adopting called in on it, a relative's guide to adoption. Okay. Um, because they are in on it, whether they want to be or not, I guess. <laughs> so, um, kind of giving them some insight into what adoptive families are going through because, you know, we're taking these classes and learning all these things about how the system works and what our kids have been through or potential, you know, issues, mm-hmm. but they're not. Right. And so I think like that's been really helpful to give them some insight um, yeah, so I have some books I can send yeah, you to that sure. have been helpful and some blogs that I've found. Um, yeah, yeah, I think. Cool. Well, that will be helpful, I'm sure. Yeah. And I'll link yeah. to all that stuff and your, both your sites and your book, which is, where is your book available anywhere on Amazon? Amazon. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. And I'll link to that, um, in the show notes as well. Perfect. So people will have that. Well, Erica, and also you've got, um, is it a weekly podcast? Or, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or no, so it's, Bi-weekly, so Bi-weekly. yeah, every other week. Uh-huh. Every other week. So The Girl Next Door, it's called? Yes. Yeah. The and Girl I'll... Next Door podcast. Yeah. It's fun. Just, you know, you're literally your next door neighbor. Yes. Chatting and making uh-huh. cocktails. So Yeah, we have a cocktail every week and we <laughs> chat about a topic and yeah. just have, we're having a blast with that. So. Oh, that's I love podcasting. It's so mm-hmm. much fun. I just have, like having conversations favorite. and... Yeah. learning about people. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'll also link to that so people can check that out because I'm finding that people, I know for myself, once I find a podcast I like, um, I want to find a lot of other podcasts and yeah. it's, you know, it's not always easy to find good ones. So yeah, it's just yeah. surfing through iTunes. Yeah. It's a horrible like, system. <laughs> like their, 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 um, search function is awful. I'll find one <laughs> that I like and then I, and then I look and it, Hasn't been updated since 2008. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, Out of episode. (laughs) Exactly. So, well, Erica, this has been so fun. Um, This will go up in early January. So by that point, we'll all be back in, back to life. (laughs) Yeah. So have a great rest of your holiday season for now. And, um, and I'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Home Hour. Again, if you want to find out anything more about today's guest, Erica Ladd, check out the show notes. They'll be at thehappiesthome.com backslash episode 49. I'll have links to her book, her blog, and her podcast, The Girl Next Door. Uh, Thanks so much for listening this week, and we'll see you next week.